Middlebury, Vermont is a small town located near the center of Addison County in western Vermont. Middlebury is a picturesque town with mountains and a waterfall in the center of the town. But in 1971, it was the site of a suspicious disappearance. This is Cold Girls, and this is the unsolved disappearance of Lynn Schulz. Lynn Catherine Schulz grew up in Simsbury, Connecticut. She was 18 at the time of her disappearance and living in Middlebury, Vermont, attending Middlebury College. Lynn was a freshman at the time. In an article in the Addison Independent, Lynn's sister states that she was enjoying her time in college. She had become familiar with the area and had some favorite stores and she was also taking a whittling class. She was into hiking and had joined the Middlebury Outdoor College Club. Her transition to college had been a smooth one as two friends from back home had accompanied her there to attend the same school. Lynn had a strong group of friends back home and she did a fair bit of traveling on the weekends by bus in order to go meet the friends who had dispersed to other colleges. Lynn's sister describes her as being full of life, curious, and very eager to explore and experience new things. There is also a direct quote that says that Lynn loved to meet new people and she wanted the challenge of new adventures. She also enjoyed writing and had kept a journal in her senior year. The story of Lynn's disappearance begins on Friday, December 10th at 12.30 p.m. She was spotted in the health food store, all the good things, eating a bag of dried prunes. This store was owned by millionaire real estate heir, Robert Durst. It was reported that day that Lynn was upset because she had missed a bus that was going to New York. Some find the statement odd because December 10th was the first day of final exams. So Lynn had no reason to be leaving campus just yet. At 12.45 p.m., a friend reported seeing Lynn and another one of their friends in their dorm room. Lynn had an English exam that day at 1 p.m., but reportedly didn't want to discuss the test and she was also reported as seeming distracted. Five minutes later, his friend left, and when she returned, Lynn was gone from her dorm. This was no surprise, considering that she had her exam quite soon. Another sighting of Lynn comes in at 2.15 p.m. that day. Lynn is spotted again, this time at a gas station, 
and the report comes in by another friend. Her whereabouts at 2.15 are a bit conflicting based on the sources that I found. So I'm going to go by her Charlie Project page. This page states that at 2.15, Lynn was actually standing on Court Street, across from the store, all the good things, and the bus stop that she had been at earlier. This was the last credible sighting of Lynn, and if she were alive today, she would be 67 years old. When Lynn disappeared, she left a lot behind. She had left behind identification, a checkbook, and all of her personal belongings. It is suspected that she did have about $30 in cash on her. Two days later, on December 12th, campus police were notified of her disappearance. But disturbingly enough, her parents and family weren't alerted until one week later. The circumstances surrounding Lynn's behavior and her mood around her disappearance are quite conflictual. So I'm going to try to break it down bit by bit as best as I can, because there are a few differing reports. One of the first reports is that Lynn was depressed and she had mentioned the idea of faking her death and starting over to some friends. When she wrote home to her friends, she mentioned that she was feeling homesick and also was considering dropping out, but she had never mentioned that she was planning on disappearing or faking her own death. She had also registered for her spring semester classes. Although this doesn't mean that Lynn was planning on disappearing, it means that she did have at least some intention on returning in the spring. Also, because Lynn was a freshman, her feeling depressed and homesick is all too common for young students living away from home for the first time. The second report about Lynn around the time of her disappearance comes from her family. They report that Lynn was fine and didn't seem unusually distressed. According to them, she took all her classes seriously, had perfect attendance, and wasn't failing anything. Her grades had dropped slightly, but not significantly from high school. Another common theme with freshmen in college. Although these are two very different reports, there are two possible explanations. The first is that Lynn wasn't telling the truth to her family. Or two, she was just experiencing some slight difficulties in adjusting to college. Both are plausible explanations. Lynn had last spoken to her family two days before her disappearance on December 8th. She mentioned that she was in good spirits and looking forward to coming home. In fact, even those family members say that she did not seem depressed when they spoke to her. Following Lynn's disappearance, her sister makes note that the Middlebury police chief at the time did not believe that she was a victim of foul play 
and that perhaps she just needed some time by herself before returning to campus. This narrative has since been dropped. Following her disappearance, there were also some reported sightings and some individuals confessed to her abduction and murder, but none of these panned out to be credible. I also want to make note that if Lynn was planning on running away, she most likely would have taken more than just the $30 that she was reported to have been carrying. In terms of suspects for this case, there really is only one solid suspect, and that is Robert Durst. He is the owner of the health food store that Lynn was last seen around during the time of her disappearance. Robert was a real estate heir, and overall he does not have a clean record. I'm going to get into a little bit of his background now to paint a picture of the type of man that Robert was. At the time of Lynn's disappearance, Robert was married to Kathleen Durst. She also owned the health food store alongside him. Kathleen went missing in 1982, and he is the prime suspect in her disappearance. He was also a suspect, but later ruled out in the 1997 disappearance of Kristen Modaffrey from San Francisco. He is also a suspect in the disappearance of Karen Mitchell from Eureka, California in the same year. Karen Marie Mitchell was actually seen around Durst during the time of her disappearance, much like Lynn. Robert reportedly visited the store that her aunt owned and had also visited her and had been seen around her at the homeless shelter where she volunteered at. In 2000, Durst was charged with the murder of Susan Berman and in 2001, he was charged with the murder of Morris Black in Texas, but he was acquitted of this in 2003 as he claimed self-defense. Based on his history, Robert seems like a fairly strong suspect. And because of this history, investigators believe that Robert was a likely suspect, especially because he was in the proximity of where Lynn went missing. Some individuals online also suspect that Robert had motive to abduct Lynn because she bore resemblance to Kathleen Durst. In an article, Robert's defense lawyer believes that his background and his suspicion is actually being used against him. Because Robert has such a suspicious background, his defense lawyer believed that this is being used to easily frame him and close the case. Reports about Durst describe him as living a random and bizarre lifestyle. In an episode of HBO's The Jinx, Durst can be seen at the end of the show muttering to himself, what the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. In this series, he was arrested in the final episode in New Orleans. This HBO show titled The Jinx, The Life and Deaths of Robert Durst is a miniseries all about him and his accusations. There was also a movie inspired about him called All the Good Things that came out in 2010. Today, 
Robert is still alive and awaiting trial for his crimes. What is unfortunate, as is the case that happens most often, is that Robert has been the subject of movies and TV shows, and we know so much about his life, yet his victims fall to the wayside. Although he seems like the most plausible individual as a suspect for Lynn's case, I also want to pick apart some other theories that might be possible. If the theory that Lynn was planning on running away was true, perhaps she hitchhiked a ride. However, this theory just doesn't make sense to me, considering she had plans to return home for Christmas and was registered for her spring semester. But when I contrast this theory with other cases, like the Maura Murray case, it might not mean anything. In Maura's case, she had plans to go to a comedy show and to return to classes after taking a week off. Maybe Lynn was in a similar situation. She needed a break, she needed to get away, and something happened to her. However, when I contrast these two cases again, Maura took a lot with her when she left, and Lynn took nothing. This also points again to abduction being the strongest theory. Some also suspect that Lynn was a victim of Ted Bundy's. This is because Bundy was responsible for the murder of another woman around the same area of Vermont where Lynn was attending school. So where do we go from here? Lynn's case is still unsolved, and there has been little media coverage since. Her parents have passed away, and the only active voice left on the case is her sister. The sources used for this week's episode were charlieproject.org, historicaldetective.com, addisonindependent.com, Reddit, Wikipedia, and WebSleuths. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. To submit a case for us to cover, you can send an email at coldgirlspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at coldgirlspod. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoyed this episode.